September the 11th was one of those days that I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're old enough to remember it, that you remember everything about that day. And um, everybody has a story about where they were that day. So it was 18 years ago. I was 28 years old. I had two children. Um, my daughter was probably about one year old. And um, I was at work. And uh, where I worked, from sitting at my desk, I could see the television because there was a common area for the staff and uh, a pool table and a lounge. It was an IT company. It was before the IT bubble burst. And uh, things were okay in the IT world. And I could see out over the St. John's Harbor because we lived in Newfoundland at the time. And I saw the plane um, hit the first tower on the television uh, from my desk. And uh, I thought maybe it was an advertisement for a movie or something like that. And um, <clears throat> But when the second plane hit the tower, uh, I, you realize that it was real. And everybody started to gather around the television. All the staff started to gather around the television. And then the plane hit the Pentagon and, uh, and then the other plane in Pennsylvania. Uh, people were getting very scared. People, you could really sense fear in the room that people... We're wondering, is this it? Is this kind of like the beginning of Armageddon or something like that? Um, so it was a very terrifying day. And it was a day that changed the world. It was a, a horrific day. And when we uh, remember it and, and talk about it tonight, we recognize that and we remember that a lot of people lost their lives on that day. Um, so I hope you can see this okay. Um, but those are the, the Twin Towers, absolutely massive uh, buildings uh, that, that were hit. And um, that's another shot of them um, at night. So you can see just how massive those buildings were. And uh, they were 110 stories, but not um, small uh, areas on each floor. They were big. So there's, uh, there were a 110-story tower, nearly 10 million square feet of office space for about 35,000 people and 430 companies. That, uh, the, the World Trade Center. So it was a symbol of trade throughout the world. Uh, and when they were built, they were the tallest buildings in the world for a brief uh, period of time. Uh, so this is <clears throat> what happened to four passenger airliners were hijacked, and, um, and two of them were flown into the Twin Towers. And uh, so this is what I, I watched as it happened on television that day. And if you know, it, Newfoundland in Canada is a half hour ahead uh, from the whole of North America. So um, you were just that little bit ahead. And so I was at work and, and watching TV as it happened, like I said. So it really was something else. And those, those planes, after they hit the towers, the towers lit on fire and eventually collapsed. And I remember watching on television people uh, jumping out of the towers to their death because of the fire and because of the heat. And uh, it was really, really uh, awful. So <clears throat> the interesting thing was in Newfoundland, um, it's in a flight path. So there's always uh, jet trails across the sky in St. John's when you look up at the sky. And the day after, that day, there was none. And uh, the St. John's airport, Alyssa and I drove past with the kids in the car seats, past the airport, and there was uh, just planes lined up because every, 
every um, plane except for military in the United States airspace uh, had to be had couldn't be in the air. They all had to land. So many planes landed, and there's a very interesting story in. Uh, Many places in Newfoundland, but also in Gander, a very small town halfway across the island, where 38 planes landed at the Gander International Airport. Um, So there were all of a sudden 6,700 people in Gander, which is probably about the size of the population of that town for three days. And those people were uh, from, you know, whoever was flying that day just landed in Gander. Some of them stayed in people's homes, people stayed in gymnasiums at schools and all over the place. So it's uh, become quite a story. And of course, the plane also hit the Pentagon um, and, uh, and the destruction was, was absolutely terrible. Uh, most of you will remember it, but some of you won't. This is 18 years ago, so some of the younger people here won't remember that day and the destruction when those two towers collapsed in New York City. It really, really was horrific, and it was a day that changed the world. Um, and it was, it was a big change in the world. And we're going we're to talk about some of the background um, that happened uh, also that day. Um, this, uh, if, it, if, it's, if it's playing, um, it was also during the Palestinian Intifada. And uh, this was a clip that was on CNN of uh, Palestinians celebrating the September 11th attacks and handing out candies. And this, I saw this play on CNN at work, um, and then it was quickly pulled and it was never played again. So um, they didn't want us to see that, I suppose. But, um, but it related, the, the reason I show this is because it related what was happening in Israel. The reporters related that... Um, the United States had been supporting Israel. So uh, these people saw that as a relation between the events in New York and between what was happening in Israel. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that and see how that is uh, related. What we want to do mostly tonight is see the results <clears throat> of what happened on September the 11th over the last 18 years. And see how that, what we expected as, as Christadelphians in our beliefs of Bible prophecy um, has come to pass by the events that came out of these events on September the 11th. It's a real uh, affirmation of our faith and what we believe in. And it's really quite incredible. So just to summarize what happened on September the 11th, uh, 2,606 people died. In the, in the towers, or 343 members of the New York Fire Department were killed. 125 people were killed at the Pentagon. Around 3,000 people died and 6,000 were injured. And every non-military flight in the United States was ordered to land. And, and much more. Those are just some of the things that um, happened that day. The people that lost their lives and uh, so forth. Okay, so we've, uh, we've talked about what happened on September the 11th, and you'll have different memories as well. Uh, but what we want to do is then consider the background to September the 11th. And uh, we saw how people connected, some people connected at least, what happened in the United States and the terrorism that took place uh, in the United States with the uh, United States' support for Israel and events in the Middle East. Um, so we, we want to take a step back and look what was happening in the lead up 
to September 11th in the Middle East. Well, in uh, in 2000, in March 2000, um, the the Pope had visited um, Israel, and he'd called for a Palestinian homeland. And uh, that visit wasn't seen by uh, many uh, as having a calming effect on the Middle East. Commentators saw it the opposite. And uh, the, uh, the left-wing Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom, uh, it summarized it with this headline, that the Pope fanned the flames of Palestinian resentment. And uh, it talks about the papal polemic uh, and that it was seen to snub Israel. And so even though it was put forward as a religious visit, it had political implications uh, to what was happening in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians. A little later in that year, in July, there was a special summit at Camp David and Bill Clinton the president at the time of the United States was there, Ehud Barak, the president, uh, prime minister of Israel, and uh, Yasser Arafat is also in the picture. And there was a real push uh, for, for peace in, in Israel. There was a real push for Israel to give up part of its territory and to allow a Palestinian state. And there was a real push for Israel to allow in many, many Palestinian refugees that would have changed the makeup and... Uh, of the country and of the area. So these were very crucial uh, talks. And the Pope had called for a Palestinian homeland, and Yasser Arafat is here demanding uh, a Palestinian homeland in the negotiations. Those negotiations collapsed, and um, Yasser Arafat, even though many saw it as a very generous offer that was offered to him to have a Palestinian state, to have most of the territory that they wanted, and... uh, uh, some kind of a solution to the refugees and many of them being allowed to return, he, he turned that offer down and the talks collapsed. Shortly after that, um, in September, Ariel Sharon, uh, the leader of the opposition at the time in Israel, so Ehud Barak was the, the prime minister, um, Ariel Sharon was the leader of the opposition, he made a visit to the Temple Mount and uh, There was some kind of disturbances, but it kind of quietened down. But the next day, I believe it was, an uprising started called the Intifada that we'll remember. Um, And it was called the Al-Aqsa Intifada by many because it was identified with the mosque, one of the mosques on the Temple Mount. And so Ariel Sharon um, made that visit, but some people blame him for what happened later. Um, Some people say that it was very orchestrated and planned so that it wasn't sort of just a spontaneous thing, but rather that everything had been planned out and so forth. In any case, uh, an uprising started and Israel in September uh, 2000, so one year before September the 11th, um, they started to have a, a very large uprising on their hands and there was a lot of terrorism into 2001, there were terror attacks of one kind or another almost daily. If you look up on the internet a list of terrorist attacks in Israel, there were uh, people, there were terrorist attacks almost every day. There would be some kind of a shooting or something happening. And there were sometimes very horrific major terrorist attacks. So before September 11th happened, there was a lot of terrorism happening 
in Israel. Uh, Just a couple of those terrorist attacks that took place. One was on uh, June 1st in 2001, where 21 young people waiting to enter or uh, the entrance of a disco in Tel Aviv called the Dolphinarium uh, were killed. 21 were killed and 120 injured. And that's the memorial for those um, people. And those terrorist attacks were really horrific. I don't really want to go into sort of detail about it, but um, if you just imagine a bomb with uh, a lot of uh, nails and ball bearings and screws all packed around that, and then a large explosive being detonated in a large group of young people or in a restaurant or so forth. And the, the carnage was just awful. They were really, really awful, horrific Uh, attacks that were happening it was really difficult to watch the news or listen to the news um, at that time Uh, I remember uh, after some of these attacks listening to the news and just praying to God to uh, to spare the the people that had to go through these horrible things Uh, so another one was in August 9th so just a month before September the 11th where uh, the Sabaro pizzeria in Jerusalem uh, was attacked by a bomber and again 15 were killed and 150 injured and when you hear 150 injured I mean it might not sound but those injuries are awful when you when you really know what those injuries are like some of them could be very severe even a, a moderate injury on a triage system from one of these bombs none of us would want to to have anybody undergo a moderate injury uh, on one of those things. So that was the background to September the 11th, at least as far as the Middle East was concerned. Um, There were things happening elsewhere in the world in in politics. And um, in uh, in Europe, Tony Blair was the, the Prime Minister of the UK. And he was moving the United Kingdom closer to Europe. He was wanting to agree to a European army. And he was, uh, he was moving uh, Britain closer to Europe. As we've said, uh, Israel was under intense pressure to create a Palestinian state, uh, despite the risks to their country. Uh, the Arab world was united against Israel in, in 2001. And Israel was undergoing almost daily terror attacks and frequent suicide bombings, as we've uh, mentioned so that was, the, uh, that was the situation. Now, when you looked at Bible prophecy, uh, there were things that we as Christadelphians uh, thought had to change. We read together Ezekiel 38 as an introduction, and it's a prophecy that we often look at as we consider the latter days. Now, Ezekiel 38 is, it has a lot of old place names in the chapter, but we recognize the context of it in the book of Ezekiel. And it's in a section of prophecies of restoration of the Jewish people. And when you look through those prophecies and see how they lead into the prophecies of the future temple, there isn't really any question that this is a prophecy for the latter day. And as you read it through and consider it, you can see that it is indeed a prophecy for the latter day. It's a prophecy for our time. The Jews are regathered to the land. And we can see that in Ezekiel 38, verses 8 and 12. If you've got your Bible open, we'll just um, read that together. Ezekiel 38, verse 8. 
And after many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. And verse 12, this invader from the north, he comes to take a spoil and to take a prey to turn his hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. So there is a description of Jews returned from all over the, the world and they've returned to the land of Israel which has been waste for a long, long, long period of time and desolate and yet they've come forth out of the nations The Jewish people have been regathered and they're dwelling in the land of Israel, in the midst of the land, uh, which today we would consider as uh, the, the, we hear people talk about the West Bank, about Judea and Samaria. That's the midst of the land and that is the mountains of Israel that we read about in verse 8. So this is a very interesting prophecy for us and and we can see how it applies to our time. And when we read this prophecy... In, uh, in 2000 and 2001, and we saw what was happening in the land of Israel, we knew that it, there wasn't, people weren't dwelling in peace and safety. And people still are not totally dwelling in peace and safety in that land, although it has improved significantly. But definitely in that time, uh, there, were, there was not peace and safety. It was, it was a terrible time. And the, interestingly, in this chapter, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time going into it right now, but the focus of this invasion from the north that takes place uh, on the land of Israel in the latter days, it's the, the focus of the invasion is the mountains of Israel. And at that time, Camp David, the Camp David summit, the contentious issue was Jerusalem and the midst of the land, the mountains of Israel. Um, so... It really is very interesting to look at this at this chapter. And we've talked about how they're dwelling safely. It emphasizes that in the chapter. We won't read through all those uh, verses together. And the other thing to notice, the last point, bullet point, is that they are wealthy. The Jewish people have returned to the land and they're prosperous and, and wealthy. So we're going to talk about that um, to, tonight too. Now, what is very interesting is that Persia, or Iran, is part of the invasion. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with this northern invader as he comes down upon the mountains of Israel in the latter days. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about Iran. The other um, countries that are noted here with their ancient names are Sheba and Dedan. And we're just going to briefly uh, look at what those uh, names are today because it is... Uh, very um, very applicable to what's come out of September the 11th. So on the screen is verses 12 and 13. We've just read verse 12 together, so we're just going to read the, the second verse, verse 13. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lines thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. So in this chapter, there's a a group of nations that invades from the uttermost parts of the north into the land of Israel. 
And then there's a group of nations that question that, that say, have you come to take a spoil? Have you come to take a prey? Why have you come down upon the land? And those nations are Sheba and Dedan and the merchant powers of Tarshish. And we don't have time tonight to go into into all of this, uh, but the merchants, the trading powers of Tarshish, we believe that the country that fulfills that role today is the Latter-day Tyre, uh, United Kingdom, Great Britain, and also the United States. And don't forget that on September the 11th, it was the World Trade Center that was the target of the attack. So let's briefly talk about Sheba and Dedan. Well, Sheba and Dedan in Genesis 25, verses 1 to 4, um, you can just note down the passage if you'd like, but we're, we're not going to turn it up. But it tells us that uh, they were the descendants of Abraham and Keturah, and they were cousins to the Midianites. So the desert people, um, they were related to the desert people of the, of the Midianites. Jesenius, the Hebrew lexographer, he identifies Sheba with the Sabaeans, a nation and region of Arabia. He supposes that there were two Arabian tribes, Sheba and Dedan, one in the north and one in the south. Smith's Bible Dictionary identifies Sheba with the great south Arabian kingdom. And Werner Keller, in the Bible as history, identifies Sheba with the ancient kingdom of Sheba, based in southern Arabia, a merchant power who did business with the kingdom of Israel under Solomon. So that's the area today of Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. That's Sheba and Dedan. Now, what I'm going to show you um, now is a, um, a screen grab uh, of some notes of mine, uh, because on uh, September the 11th, so on the Sunday after September the 11th, it was my duty to give the exhortation. And I don't show you this because I want to say, you know, look what I said, uh, or anything like that, because everything that I had in my, in my exhortation was only from other Christadelphians, from Brother Paul Billington that we know, that taught me, Brother Graham Pierce, Brother John Thomas, the things that we, we hold together. And, and it's just simple things that all of us would have thought of that day. But it's very interesting to go, be able to go back and say, well, what, what did we think then? What did I think on that day? So in my exhortation on that day, I, we looked at Ezekiel 38 because of what had happened just a couple days before on September the 11th. And uh, in my exhortation, I had a prophetic checklist from Ezekiel 38 that it was in the latter days was after the restoration of the land, the things we've just talked about, that the Jews were dwelling on the mountains of Israel in the settlements in the West Bank, that uh, there was a united European-Russian army from the uttermost part of the north that was going to come down in the latter days. Persia, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Libya, as we've just talked about, were with them. There was a group of trading nations, including Sheba and Dedan, in protest when Ezekiel 38 happens. And therefore, in Ezekiel 38, there, there's a split in the Arab world that wasn't there in 2001 because the Arab world was united against Israel. But in Ezekiel 38, there was a split in the Arab world. And so um, there would be Iran on, on one side, Ethiopia and Libya, and on, on the other side, 
was going to be Sheba and Dedan, the Gulf states. And so there had to be a develop a, a division in the Arab world. And that a situation of confidence, openness, prosperity and security and safety had to happen in Israel. And it certainly wasn't like that at that time. So at the bottom there you can see um, in my notes that there's three areas identified that we would look for that could be results out of what had happened on September the 11th, a couple of days before. Those areas that were identified were, one, that Britain would be at odds with Europe, divided from Europe. Two, that there would be a greater split in the Arab world. And three, a situation of peace and prosperity in Israel. So that's what we were looking for in, on September the 11th. Uh, and that's what we thought, well, what could come out of this? What could come out of these events? So what we want to do now is look at, well, what did come out of the events of September the 11th? Well, as we said, Tony Blair was moving Britain closer to Europe at that time. But as a result of September the 11th, um, the USA and Britain joined together. They joined together to fight in Afghanistan and in the Middle East, in Iraq. So it, September the 11th brought together, again, the United States and Great Britain and other countries um, like Canada and, and Australia to, to fight in the Middle East. So some other things that came out of September the 11th. Well, as we've said, the United States eventually invaded Iraq and Afghanistan as a result of uh, what had happened on September the 11th. And they said that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Now, top positions in Iraq under Saddam Hussein uh, were occupied by Sunnis. So in the Islamic world, there's Sunnis and there's Shiites. So in the, the top positions in Saddam Hussein's government were occupied by Sunnis. And uh, as a result of the war in Iraq and the result of democracy, instead of a minority having more power, the majority, Shiites, took power and took control of the government in Iraq. Now, some Iraqi Sunnis didn't like that, and so they launched an armed rebellion against the Shiite-dominated government, and that eventually, over the process of time, gave birth to what we now know as the Islamic State. So the Islamic State gained power, they started to take over portions of Iraq, and then they started to take over portions of Syria as a result of the Syrian civil war. 1.5 million refugees from Iraq went to Syria. Now that put a strain on Syria because Syria had a poor economy, they had high unemployment, and they had a very bad drought for many, many years. And those events then led to the Syrian uprising and eventually the Syrian civil war. And that caused the collapse of Syria and then thousands and thousands of refugees to go from Syria into Europe. The weakening of Iraq... Um, led to the ascendancy of Iran. Because Iran and Iraq balanced each other out. They had a war from 1980 until 1988. Those two countries were at war with each other and pulverizing each other. It was a very, very brutal 
war. Uh, very horrific. So when Iraq was weakened and no more a power, Iran gained a lot of power in the Middle East as it is today. The threat then of Iran in the Middle East pushed the Gulf states to react to Iran and Iran's desire to have nuclear weapons and Iran's desire for power in the Middle East. So the threat of Iran pushed the Gulf states closer to the United States. And now the Gulf states view Iran a greater threat than they do Israel. So eventually the Gulf states have, to some degree, have relations with Israel that was unthinkable in, uh, on September the 11th, that that would ever happen to the point that it has happened today. Uh, and as we've said, the Syrian war caused thousands of refugees to move to Europe. So Islamic State, or ISIS, then came from Iraq and spread into Syria and uh, uh, one time into Jordan. That's largely been sort of dealt with now, but Syria is a, is a ruined nation today, a very weak nation. Israel, on the other hand, has become much more prosperous. On, in 2001, they were already a fairly prosperous nation. Today, they are much more prosperous. They found oil and gas off their coast. They're leading in, uh, in, in technology and in, in development. And uh, it's really an incredible uh, economic miracle, the nation of Israel, how it's gone from what it was in 1948 until what it was today, what it is today. So the other thing that we talked about was in that exhortation on September the 16th was about that we looked for uh, Britain being at odds with Europe because at that time Tony Blair was pushing for closer relations. And of course we all know that that's certainly changed um, with Brexit and this uh, screen grab is just from uh, a couple days ago. The EU losing patience as the UK still fails to present alternatives to the Irish backstop. So, phenomenal changes between Britain and between Europe. Now, as far as Israel's concerned, they used to be, especially back in the 60s and 70s, very threatened by Syria. Uh, and I took this picture up uh, on the Golan Heights, where there are old Syrian bunkers, where they would shell the communities in Israel in, uh, before 1967. And uh, today, that threat is all but gone. There is still a threat in the north from Hezbollah, but there is not an existential threat to Israel um, anymore. And at one time, Israel was threatened by Iraq as well. Of course, that threat is gone um, today as well. So the threat from Syria, from Iraq, from Egypt, that were used to be existential threats to Israel, are now gone. And this is from a few years ago from the Washington Free Beacon newspaper. Um, and the, the quote, we'll read the quote there together. It says, both the Syrian and Iraqi armies, which constituted a major threat to Israel's eastern front, have been paralyzed by civil wars, and any recovery is seen as distant. As for Egypt... It is too consumed by internal problems to constitute a serious threat in the near future. So what we've seen, not just as a result of September the 11th, but definitely as a result of September the 11th also, is that the once threats that Israel had 
have, have dissipated. So, at uh, one time then, if we went back to September 11th, there was intense pressure on Israel to accept a, a Palestinian state. And it could, have been, it could have been a hostile state. We've actually seen what's happened when Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip and how that has become hostile to them. Um, that could have happened in those mountains that are up above, looking down on the rest of the land. Um, that's where they, they wanted to create that state. The idea of that state today is all but gone. It's diminishing that that will ever, ever happen. So that's a big change since um, September the 11th. And uh, the terrorism that Israel once suffered at that time, at least for now, has died out um, mostly. It's, it's nowhere near like it was then. And Israel has become much more prosperous. And all those things in, are related to what happened on September the 11th. On the other hand, what happened on September the 11th has had major repercussions through the Middle East, as we've talked about. What happened in Iraq affected Iran, it affected Syria. Today, the Arab world is divided along lines that people never sort of imagined that it would be. At one time, there was pan-Arabism, where all the Arabs were united together against Israel in 1967 and 73. But today, they're, they're divided. The Gulf states find Israel a closer friend than they would Iran. And Iran is the threat, and Israel is not. Whereas Iran has gained strength and ascendancy and, and Russia has moved into Syria. So the picture in Ezekiel 38, when we step back and look at it over those 18 years, what we believed as Christadelphians, we've, we said this is how things, this is what we look for. And we've seen it happen over the last 18 years. This is a quote from uh, John Thomas, um, a, uh, a writer from... Uh, the 1800s, who uh, really started the Christadelphian movement. And he looked for these things. He looked for the return of the Jews, and he looked for these events that were we've seen develop over the last uh, 150 years since he was writing. And here he, he's commenting on a prophecy in Revelation, which we're not going to uh, look at right now, but we just want to see what he says. Um, hence, he says, the water of the great river Euphrates in like manner represents the military power of the Ottoman Empire. And that was the empire that controlled the Middle East at the time that he was writing. That power um, is dissipated by a process of evaporation or drying up, a gradual exhaustion, so as at last to leave the channel of the river in the heart of the great city empty. And devoid of all power to impede or interfere with operations developing in the southeastern recesses of the empire. So he's talking about the development of Israel, of the, of the Jewish state, of the return of the Jews to the land. That the nations around would be devoid of power to stop that development. And today we see that situation really come clear where the Arab world is divided. And, uh, and the nation of Israel is able to develop. And the further developments that we expect uh, in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can see that the stage is set for those events to happen. So just to summarize then, let's take a step back then and look at those three areas we've discussed together. So 
On September 16th, there was three areas that we looked at and said, this is where we could see change. This is where we expect to see change from our understanding of Bible prophecy. The first was that Britain at odds, Britain would be at odds with Europe, divided from Europe. And that is, that's happened today. It's incredible how that has happened. It, it really didn't seem possible on in 2001, it did not seem possible where uh, the UK was pushing more and more into Europe. And Tony Blair was at the forefront of, of doing so. But that has changed. The second was that we looked for was a greater split in the Arab world. Because the Arab world was completely united against Israel. But in Ezekiel 38, we saw a different picture. And we have seen that happen. We've absolutely seen that happen. And today, the way the world, the Arab world is divided, exactly as Ezekiel 38 describes, is absolutely incredible. And the third was a situation of peace and prosperity in Israel. And while that may not be absolutely perfect, we've definitely seen that develop as well. So, if you're, you know, especially for the younger ones here that don't remember those events... You can look at that, and this is, this is a screen grab of my, my exhortation notes from that day. That is what we looked for as Christadelphians. And you can look in any of the milestones, publications, pick up an old copy of the Bible magazine. You can go through and you will find that those same things were said. That is what we believed had to happen and had to change. And 18 years later, we can say... That those three things have absolutely happened. And how, did we, how would we know that? It's not that we had any special powers or rele, uh, revelations from God to tell us this is what is going to happen. Nobody can predict the future. But we looked at Ezekiel 38 and other prophecies in the Bible. And we said, what is this telling us? And we, we looked for an, an honest answer. What is this telling us? And... Uh, and we saw what it told us, and, and we said, this is what has got to happen. But This is what we believe has got to happen. And 18 years later, we can say, that is exactly what happened. And so we can be absolutely sure that the other things in these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And they're going to be fulfilled soon, as, as we expect, and as we see events continuing to move on. So we can have absolute faith and trust in the Word of God. Because there is absolute evidence there that this is the Word of God and it can show us the things that are coming upon the earth.